this. Our self-discovery is something we are all making on our life's journey. Here you will find the people that will be your guidance, that will be your inspiration, that will be there for you in support on your journey of life. Do enjoy. Our next show is... Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Raising Our Gifted Children and Our Forgotten Children series, right here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guests today are two wonderful women, Ma and daughter, Patty and Elizabeth Ashley. Patty is actually Elizabeth Ashley Herman. She is a school teacher and has a wonderful program for going back to school in this, these times. And Patty, please go back and listen to the show that she did with me. Uh, it is illuminating, it is invigorating, and it is something that you need to listen to right now. But today is about the challenges that parents are facing. It is uncertain times. Nobody knows really what's going on. Should you send your kid back to school what's the alternative if you're a working parent can you cope with your kid being at home learning as well um, what are the feelings behind these uncertain times parents are overwhelmed because suddenly they've got to become teachers as well and they have a lot more respect for teachers now than they ever had before and you know what's the best way of handling the COVID fears and also preparing for what may come the other thing is explaining death to children which I find actually in so many ways they take so more, more matter-of-factly than we do, but that's my experience with it. And But with COVID and everything else right now, there's so much around us, it can be overwhelming for absolutely everyone. So let's dive into the conversation and see what we can learn today on preparing our children, preparing ourselves, and looking to what we can navigate right now, because we really don't know what this next phase is going to be about. Um, flu, colds, everybody's going to think everything is COVID. Uh, how is it going to work? And so let's find out if we can get some wonderful tips to apply and uh, take some pressure off our shoulders. So welcome to the show, Patty and Elizabeth. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having us. Uh, great to have you back again, Patty, and wonderful to have your daughter Elizabeth on. Yeah, this is so Thank fun. You. Yeah. <laughs> well, huh, a tough subject um, because... Education for our children is generally crammed packed in the classroom. It's not just about what they learn. It's the interactive skills that they learn. It uh, learn to have the, the teamwork, uh, the respect in not only of the teacher, but of their fellow students. And now where a lot of people, like you were saying, Elizabeth, preparing to go virtual, you know, um, online to learning. It's a whole new curve, isn't it? So I'm going to throw this one out to you first on the immediate challenges that you're facing. Great, so, um, so I'm a school psychologist, so I help support classroom teachers um, and parents during you know, what we might call regular times with kind of handling like behaviors and school-based mental health and you know, all of those things. And I think now everything's heightened because there, again, we are under so much stress with everything and the unexpected and the unknowns and all of the confusion about what's safe and, but what about, you know, social skills? What about all of the important other things that they get out of being in school? And, you know, a lot of concerns about students not going back and missing out on those things. And I think 
for parents, um, you know, I, I'm one, I have a school-aged child and a preschool-aged child, um, it, it is concerning. And we worry a lot because we want the best for our children and we want to do the right thing. And it becomes almost to the point where we're making all of these really big, tough decisions that we've never had to make before. So it kind of creates this overwhelm and uncertainty, and it's really difficult. And I think that when we look at how we're choosing what's best for our family, that's really the bottom line, right? Like it's gonna look different for different people depending on what's the best fit for their family. Some people don't have a choice about going back to work, so they can't hunker down and homeschool like another family might be able to do. So I think for all of us, it's making sure we're thinking through the decision, but really also giving ourselves grace. And I think if you're that worried about it, that you're so overwhelmed, mm -hmm. you're probably a really great parent to begin with because mm -hmm. you care so much. So I think knowing that, you know, just the fact that you care that much shows that like your kids are probably going to make it through this really difficult, but temporary, hopefully time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're looking really at a couple of years before we're going to see ourselves out of the woods mm -hmm. with this. But, and yes, it's very difficult to navigate. And of course, what we have today is social media and media constantly dropping bombs on us. You know, it's just negativity, negativity, negativity mm -hmm. all the time. And nobody knows what tomorrow is going to bring because, you know, we're in uncertain times. So it's very, very hard for, I think, anybody at this time to kind of navigate. It, it literally is one day at a time, isn't it, Patty? Oh, absolutely. And I think you're saying it in that phrase one day at a time because it is uncertain. And I love what Elizabeth said about, um, you know, if you're worried about your kids, you're probably doing a good mm -hmm. job mm -hmm. because that's true, isn't it? it? It's we care so much and that's how much anxiety we have. So how you rein that in into one day at a time and you do the best you can. I really believe we're all doing the best we can right now because there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of not knowing what to do other than one day at a time, one step at a time. Absolutely. You know, we, if we look into the past, you know, my parents went through wartime. Uh, there are certainly many, many countries in the world who have been war-torn. And when we look at that, you know, wartime is you didn't know when the next bomb was going to drop. You didn't know if there was going to be an infiltration. You just didn't know anything. And everybody always tried to the best of their ability to kind of make things normal. You know, I had a wonderful um, person on who was, um, she's Jewish and she was in Singapore with her family and was arrested, you know, was captured by the Japanese and in, in, in camp. Um, and her mom was a, a brownies scout uh, leader and so she took all of the kids and kind of gave them things to do and kind of made them productive so they didn't feel like a prisoner and it's it's the lemons out of you know lemonade out of lemons isn't it when you're in a situation you've got to adjust to what you have in the moment but how can you keep it upbeat even if there's turmoil going on inside of you hey elizabeth <laughs> yeah well i think that a huge component of that you know being positive, you know, looking for good things, but also giving ourselves permission to sit in the difficult feelings when we need to, but being careful of not getting stuck in them. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to give ourselves and the children like the permission to know it's okay to feel bad about this. It's okay to grieve the loss of those activities that you thought you were going to be able to do in the fall and the thing, the new school year. You know, there's a lot of excitement around mm -hmm. the new school year, getting to see friends, which teacher will I have? You know, what will I be doing? And 
again, just like we had in the spring when we lost graduations and end of year celebrations, we're losing that, you know, that beginning of year, you know, new backpack smell excitement. Mm -hmm. And so I think knowing that it's okay to be sad about that and knowing that a lot of times behavior challenges that come up around that probably have a lot to do with processing those difficult feelings. And as parents and caregivers who are at home with our kids now a lot more than we have ever been, we need to make sure we're understanding that and not necessarily punishing yeah. emotions, right? We want to be, you know, yeah, kids need consequences and boundaries, but we want to make sure we're keeping in mind too, a lot of what's coming out is these big feelings that they don't know how to express. And it's just this, the, as this uncertainty bubbles out into maybe like, you know, in a pro, you know, just behaviors you wouldn't normally see. And they can be frustrating. They can be triggering for us because we're yeah. really stressed out too. And we're like, I've done all these activities with you this week. I don't understand, you know, why you're acting this way. And it's just, we need to, you know, again, give them grace and give ourselves grace and take care of ourselves to know what we need to be able to show up for them and be that rock that can handle the hard emotions. Mm, that, you know, kind of reminds me of the movie Inside Out. And, you know, when that first came out, I was interviewing a lot of psychologists, et cetera, at the time. And I, I was telling them about this movie and they came back and said, thank you. <laughs> it is yeah. such a good movie because we have emotions for a reason. They're an indication of where we're at. Happy, mm -hmm. sad, mad, glad, whatever the case is. The thing is to acknowledge the emotion and deal with it. Don't get stuck in it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think this is the dangers of right now of getting stuck in a, a frustration emotion, stuck in, I, I feel out, you know, no control. Or, um, there's a lot of emotions that people can get stuck in right now. And they need to be aware of that and know how to handle it. Because, you know, one thing we know for sure, our children will pick up our anxiety, our stress, like our animals will, and they play up. And it's not always them, it's what they're feeding off us. So we need to really manage our emotions um, a lot or we'll find outlets for it so that we don't bring it into the, in, into the center family. Hey, Patty? Yeah, well, paradox is the word that comes up for me. Um, I always like to think about parenting as a paradox and life is a paradox, really. The pandemic is a paradox. We're talking, people are calling it the Corona coaster. And I may have talked about that in our last yeah. interview where you know we're up and we're down and we're up and yep. we're down and so we are going to have all kinds of feelings coming up and i think back to your question earlier about lightening up on ourselves as parents you know i can say it because i'm not raising young children right now and that's why i really love having elizabeth in yes. these conversations because she's in the trenches right i get to stand back as grandma from far away and watch and go oh my gosh how are you doing it um and also the, all the clients that I work with who are trying to figure out how to navigate this. So what I always say is, you know, the good news is there is more time really to play with our kids. Yeah. Not, I mean, I hate to say that, and Elizabeth's probably going, what? <laughs> <laughs> Do I need more yeah. time? <laughs> but there is a slowing down, especially when we were in quarantine, a slowing down and being with our children in a different kind of way which gives, and I used to, and I said to the parents then in the spring when all this happened and they were worried, teachers didn't know how to, to um, online school. They'd never done that before. And parents didn't know how to do it. And I said, get out the art supplies and paint, you know, dance around the living room, play with your kids. Cause there's so much learning and also so much healing that goes on in the nervous system when we play. So even though we're stressed 
and times are uncertain and we don't know how we're going to navigate through all this, if we can breathe and, and rest and sit back and kids, children are divine teachers is one of my favorite. Oh, yeah. Yes. Fail to see their vision. It is our light. When we fail to see their light, it is our vision that needs clearing. That was Margaret and Jordan Paul. And I say that all the time. And my children definitely taught me more than any of my three degrees, you know, because they're so wise. They come into the world with this innocence and play. And so if parents can play a little bit more, I think it's hard for us as we grow up to um, Brene Brown you know, researched how play actually is healing. And she always, you know, she's so funny when she talks and she was talking about how she um, was Googling adult play. And of course, you know, the websites that came up for her you know, <laughs> around adult play. I can't right? And, and so, you know, we don't know how to play as adults. And I think if we can, even in the school day and not worry so much about the curriculum and the academics. I think that's all that's been a tragic flaw in our school system before the pandemic. And Elizabeth shaking her head, she can probably speak mm -hmm. that as well. It was and you now, for change, right? <laughs> the pressure of how to do it this way. Yes. And to me, you know, I think we learn life is all about learning. Kids and kids intrinsically want to learn. And if we provide them with op learning opportunities, they're gonna get what they need. I think we've got to shift the paradigm of the old system of yeah. you know how we do school yeah, yeah it's I mean, a good opportunity yeah it is an excellent opportunity and, and i just want to hit on the play because play as you said is a wonderful teacher it's mm -hmm. also a wonderful releaser and it's something you can do with your kids i used to call it the silly billy time and we would put on loud music like you know the champions we are the champions and everybody would sing and dance and and it was a wonderful release of any frustration and it was just a wonderful thing of everybody doing things together. So like if, if Mara and Pa are doing yoga or doing other exercises, include the kids. If the kids want to do a particular exercise and they're teaching the parents, do it. The whole thing is the interactiveness, isn't it? And, mm -hmm. and to let the sillies out. Hey, Elizabeth? Right. Yeah. And I think we're so used to looking for that kind of that turnkey thing. Like we got to Google this program or have this thing on the iPad that like struck we wanted struck we had the activities because we were so structured right we had the you know we have music class on Monday nights and we have soccer on Tuesdays and so when everything shut down it was like oh what are we supposed to do with these kids all the time they don't have any activities and we forgot that like they act they know what to do yes. we just need to follow their lead and I think that's the problem that sometimes we get into is we forget that and we feel like we have to structure it we have to oh we have to get the toy with all the bells and whistles that do everything for them and then we forget and then in turn teach our kids that they are incapable of entertaining themselves and come being creative and coming up with things on their own because they really are they're so creative and I think that's one of the things like that we've tried to appreciate during this time is you know having that unstructured time where we can let our children like you know lead us down their own path of where they want to go and we can explore that and play and you know, it's just, a, it's been a gift. It's a stressful gift. <laughs> but, I mean, but again, like looking for the positives in it, it, it really is a gift of time. And I think if we try to keep that in mind without letting it overwhelm us with feeling like we have to make every minute count. And if it's not structured, or if it's not something that I purchased that tells me that this is good for this type of development, then it might not be a good thing. Um, I think we worry too much about that. And we need to really just let them let them be and you know we're seeing so many people now working from home mm -hmm. and you know the the whole mindset now is 
I don't care when you work, as long as the work gets done, that's meant to get done in a day. So people may get up later because they haven't got the two hour commute to work. Um, they may work later into the night when it's more peaceful. And I think that pressure of as long as it gets done, you're doing the work, we don't care when, you know, um, or where you do it. And I think that's the same with school. At school, it's structured. Next class, next class, next class, lunch break, play break, next class. And we can't have that regimentally. At, at, we can have some structure. We are going to do this today, but how are you going to do math today? You can do a certain amount math online, but then how about taking it outside and using the math in another way? Um, using, you know, do a play. My kids used to put on plays all the time. And they you know, can be given a story of, you know, then now go and reinterpret it in a play. There's so many ways of getting our kids to learn and to absorb what they're learning. Because I personally did dreadfully at school because I never observed, absorbed what I was learning because I wasn't being taught in the way that I could learn. You know, I was dyslectic and just missed school a great deal. So I never, ever caught up. And it was all about that regiment. If you weren't there, you failed. If you weren't there, you failed. And that kind of failure put on a kid makes them feel inadequate. But if we teach them, hey, it's not failure if you get back up and try again. It's get up and do try again and keep trying until you, you master it. And if we encourage our kids to do that more, I think that is a wonderful technique for them to take through their entire lives. Patty? I, I, I agree. <laughs> and what, what flashed in my mind was, um, when I was in kindergarten, Elizabeth, I don't know if I ever told you the story or not, but I, we had these picture books and we, we were supposed to read the pictures with the teacher. And I was curious and I wanted to know what was on the next page. And I had to stand in the corner because I turned the page in the picture book too soon. Oh and I think that when I think about that, and I was only five years old and we're so impressionable, especially under the age of seven, um, you know, what, what, what did I learn? It's not okay to be curious. It's yeah. not okay to think about, you know, and even my son, Michael, um, in second grade got a bad note for thinking in class. I'm not kidding you. No, are you serious? There had levels and the color levels went from, you know, the good level to the bad level to a white note. And he got white notes a lot and he came home and it said in the white note spot, thinking in class and I said Michael I said what were you thinking about and he said well we were studying Native Americans and we had our textbooks open and I started wondering about and he had this whole imagination around what it must have been like for the Native Americans and so he wasn't paying attention to the teacher he was in his imagination now where's the space for that right in school today. And I think that's what we're talking about when Elizabeth was saying earlier, be, be in relationship with your children, allow them to come to you and how much learning takes place. Just being curious again, yes. back to curiosity and, you know, asking children questions about what they're thinking or doing or experiencing is learning. But we, we have, I think our educational system has a long way to go in terms of individualizing and allowing learning to happen intrinsically the way it does. 
Yeah. So. Allowing, as you know, is one of my favorite words, because when we allow, we discover. And that's when our creativity comes out. Mm -hmm. And if everything is so regimented, you have to, instead of I wish you to discover, it's a totally different tone and a way a child mm -hmm. is going to learn. And, I, you know, I personally see when we do come out of the COVID, which I think we're going to have another year before we can be safe, you know, next fall will be different. But I also think the whole school system will have changed by then. You may have people who've got into a lovely routine of, I'm not going to teach my kids virtually or in school one or two days a week for the interaction, but not every, every week as we're seeing some people elect not to go back to work, but to work from home and some work part-time and some are going back full-time. There's such a lot that needs to change in education that this is actually a wonderful platform in which to do that change right elizabeth oh absolutely and i think one of the interesting things that i observed a little bit is sometimes when i leave things too open-ended it's almost like my school-age child didn't know what to do like mm. she didn't want to choose an activity because she's so used to it being chosen yes. for her what and told this oh no this is what we do now and this is what we do then and so i feel like sometimes as parents we almost need to model that for them now since they aren't used to it and kind of like what you all were saying about being curious, like, oh, I'm really curious about this. What are you curious about today? Or like, we have all these books we could read. Do those make you mm. think of anything we could go explore today? Or if we have this activity or we have, we have paints today or, you know, kinetic sand today, what do you think we should do? It's almost like you have to set it up for them at first before they can get comfortable, really. I mean, now yeah. we've had a whole summer. So I feel like it's been kind of fun to see like kind of the things that they've been wanting to do. Um, but yeah, just figuring out ways to structure it so that, they feel comfortable making the choices and starting to kind of almost, you have to almost have to rebuild their self-confidence yeah. to know that they can, you know, permission, what they permission do. to do, Absolutely. allow, and instead of, you know, put your hand up and hope that somebody in the mm -hmm. teacher will pay it. Cause there's always a teacher's pet, you know, and hope that, you know, you can, and also the shy ones that never put their hand up, never want to say anything. Mm -hmm. Maybe they get ridiculed at home. Maybe their self, you know, confidence isn't there and they're not the ones to do it. What happens to those children who school is their safe haven and now they're at home? I mean, I know we need to see some systems put in place for them, mm -hmm. but when a parent is inadequate or unable to help the child with the schooling online or help the child to play. I mean, these are the forgotten children. Yeah, I think that's the thing I've lost the most sleep about since we closed school mm -hmm. and the way that we closed it and, you know, that the fashion of it being an emergency shutdown. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in one of my elementary, because I support several schools in my district and I was at one of my elementary schools that day and I was with the school counselor because we usually send home lunches for students who are identified as homeless mm -hmm. um, and who qualify for free food to take home over the weekend. So we were trying to throw extra packs of food in their backpack and the poor little guys were just going and like, you're in your lap, buddy. Like, you can do it. So it's one of those things as educators, when we work in public education, that's a huge component of it is surveying our community. Mm. And, you know, not everybody at home has parents who are equipped and ready to really jump up and yes, I can manage working from home and supporting your education. It's hard for even well-equipped, well-educated, yeah. supported, comfortable people. It's hard for all of us. And so I think if you're already stressed, if you're already under a financial constraint, you're already, you know, emotionally not in a place where you really feel like, you know, you're able to do that, then those are the children that we worry about. And those are the, that's the reason I think those of us who work in education are really eager to see people kind of take the safety precautions seriously and bring our local numbers down so that we can provide that service to the students who really do need it. Yes, because we know that the 
you know, not getting the attention at home for various reasons. And we also know that the people that have been working all the way through this are um, our cashiers, our grocery people, uh, the truck drivers, you know, the people that have been made, the people that are looked upon lowly, you know, have become our heroes because they've worked all the way through this, uh, providing for us. Um, and they cannot afford not to work. And so, the, you know, how many kids are at home alone all day, just in front of the TV, if they have a computer, you know, in front of that, um, left to their own device. And it, it's so sad to see that, isn't it? You know, who, how are we targeting those kids to help them? Right. And I think that's really, I think this situation has highlighted a lot of like how significantly we've relied on public schools to really be that support system for those children. And I don't think that should no longer be the case, but I think we really need to take a good hard look at what are we doing as a system, like in a greater community to really help identify what we can do for families um, in other ways when we can't physically provide the schools. Because is that really what schools were meant to be? Mm -hmm. and, it, and it really isn't, but they've come to serve a lot, you know, the healthcare that we have a school nurse on mm -hmm. staff, we have mental health services with myself and social workers who work in the buildings and school counselors, you know, all of those support systems that we provide that, you know, I, I think are wonderful. And, you know, I hope we continue to provide that. But I think it highlights the inequities when we see the students who don't have access to that public school building who now have very little access to supports once they're home and their parents still have to work. And we rely on those people. Yes. Those of us who don't work in those industries, we couldn't keep our households going if we were, didn't have the grocery stores open and the truck drivers delivering, you know, the food, uh, you know, we need all those people to be working. They really are essential. Yeah. Yes, yeah, most certainly. Um, you know, it does take a village to raise a child. And I think that, you know, what has happened um, maybe over the last 20, 30 years, it's been less of the village, less of the community and more emphasis either on the school system or after school system because you know now both parents are working um which is more and more common than it used to be and you know where does the child go i mean how many kids were in after school programs because their parents were working and those aren't there anymore and this is when our community needs to step up isn't it when our community needs to look at you know, Joyce is at the grocery store, dad is driving the truck, the kids are alone all day. Let us make sure we're getting food over there or some activities or doing something or having them over and, and restricting the amount of kids they play with. So, you know, they're in that bubble, the safe bubble. Mm -hmm. But that's where as a community, we need to step up and, you know, provide for, uh, for those kids and just say, oh, it's so sad. Instead of so sad, do something about it. Mm -hmm. Patty? <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with Elizabeth. It's probably what keeps me up at night, too, is yeah. learning about the children who don't have resources in the home and, and, and parents who don't have the resources and understand, you know, how to manage all this. And, and I think about it a lot. I think, well, what could I do? And, you know, it's, it's interesting, the domino effect of all this. It's, you know, I think, well, I should bring people together, but, oh, people can't get together. Oh, we should do Zoom. Oh, but they don't have computers and people are tired of being on their computer. So how do we really, as a community, support each other? I mean, that's the key question. I don't have the answer. I know, I think in my field, the good news is, you know, the stigma of mental health is hopefully hopefully um, being um, 
affected in some way and that we're realizing that mental health services are so important because of the increase of depression, anxiety, and suicide and addiction right now. I mean, the rates are, have skyrocketed off the charts. And so we need mental health people. And yet we're also, as mental health people, me and my colleagues are saying, you know, all we can do is, is, is witness people going through this right now because there's no solution. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the answer is. I, I, I see the complexity of the social emotional impact um, on many levels. So. You know, and we can see it through, you know, history that anytime there is a, a challenge, you know, that a country and, and this is the first time we've seen global pandemic where everybody's gone through it at the same time. Um, and this is really when we need to step up for one another. Um, we have, I think, for the last 30, 40 years where, you know, in my time being brought up, um, yes, we had a nanny um, and I've, and her husband was the gardener, you know, it was... Um, <clears throat> they didn't live on, live on, they just came in now and again, there was help and support for mum. But the community was there. Everybody helped one another. Um, when I was raising my children, I had a big house and always a spare room. So any kid that was in trouble knew that they could come to me. And parents would know that. So it's who are you in this community and how can you help? And, and uh, we may not want to get close because we don't know, but there's so many other things we can do. And I think that's the question that we're looking at right now. There's a whole lot of question marks. You know, what do we do about the kids going back to school without the computers? You know, what do we do about the kids going back to school that may not be very well protected at home? You know, what, how are we going to support the parents? of the kids at, you know, at home or the parents that are having to send their kids back to school um, because they're working. We've got so many question marks right now and in, there are very important questions that we have to ask because it's going to affect the whole education for the future, but it's also going to affect society. Um, you know, it's a time of coming together in any way that we can. And if you can't Zoom somebody, then pick up the phone most people have phones, right? Reach out, text them. (laughs) You know, that seems to be the new medium. Text them, let them know that you care and that you're there for them. And what can you do for them? And if you can do something, if not, maybe you know somebody else who can. But don't you think this is a time for everyone coming together with ideas and putting them in the pot and, and to see how we can use them and who we can use them on, Elizabeth? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, this is a really good chance for us to not only take a closer look at how are we redefining school as it looks and really getting more creative with that and really making it fit, you know, this new learner, you know, these students who are growing up in a completely different situation with regard to technology and access and really use it in a meaningful way, but also, you know, empower them to be creative learners. And then how as a society can we really make sure we're considering the needs of all students? And I think that's, you know, there's lots of diverse learners, you know, we have all kinds of students with different types of disabilities. And then we also have students from all different types of backgrounds. And so we really need to think about that and think about how, you know, this, because we've always sort of done a one size fit all education yeah. model. And, you know, for the middle class family, and that isn't necessarily 
working. And I think for us, you know, locally here, I kind of appreciate the fact that they gave parents an option once we have these metrics that determine when it's safe and then students will return to in-person learning then and then again with the CDC guidelines in place. But parents had the option to opt out and stay at home and do continue with virtual learning for the first semester. And I think those parents who have the means to keep their kid home because they don't have to be at work, they can facilitate that for an entire semester of the school year. You know, I appreciate that they did that because then that frees up classroom space to allow for those safety measures to be in for the students who really do need to be going back to yeah. school. And I think that helps us do that. So I think things like that, like thinking creatively about how we can really let the students who need to be physically in a school building access it as soon as possible. And then the students who maybe are, you know, going to be okay at home and can go a little longer at home and be virtual and just fine. Like, you know, figure out a way to do that. But it's difficult because, you know, Nobody wants to feel like their child isn't getting, you know, right. access to the same thing as everyone else. But like you were saying, I think we need to think about the bigger picture of what we're doing for a community mm -hmm. and what we can really do and really, but it, that's tough because right now we're really in a place that we're, you know, we're really split between people who think, well, what about me versus, well, what about all of us? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's, um, in your community, you can decide which households are all going to interact with each other. And everybody can get tested to know that they're on the same playing field and then stick together as a group. And then you've got each other's back. You can support each other and you could even rotate kids. You know, I'll have your kids today and we'll do a classroom. You can have my kids tomorrow, giving the parents a break even to do their own work. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's kind of getting innovative, isn't it? You know, take, let's forget about the structure of the way school has been. Let's forget about society and the structure and the way it's been. This is a whole new canvas that we're painting here. And whatever we do paint here is going to change the entire structure in the future. So it's a great time to be creative with the canvas and explore what options are good. And I think a lot of it is forcing us to come back together. As you were saying, Patty, it's a you know, paradox is that we want people to come together at the same time they can't come together, but we can if we choose to be careful and stay within a bubble uh, and be there supportive of one another, it's like your tribe, stay with your tribe and be supportive of one another. And that just means people have got to step out of the fear, use the common sense, uh, practice the safety and reach out to one another. Um, but so many people have been paralyzed by fear um, or conspiracy or anything else that's going on because there's so much going on right now, the bombardment of news, it's just, you know, people are la, 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 I can't hear anymore. Um, how do people get over that fear, Patty, to, to look at the common sense type of thing to do? <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> you got a magic wand. I don't know, actually. I, you know, what's really striking me is what is true. You know, people... People have different perceptions of different ways of believing and doing things and we're all unique and we're all different and um, so there is a lot of fear going around and a lot of perceptions, older perceptions that I think need a new paradigm and they need a new perspective. And yet we haven't really, we're, we're creatures of habit, we do what's familiar. And I always talk about the word familiar. If you break it down, it comes into family liar. You know, because what we've learned in our families for so long isn't really true for what the human spirit needs. Because I always like to go back to the old 
parenting practices of spare the rod, spoil the child, you should be ashamed of yourself, don't be angry, don't be this, don't be that, and how it gets in our DNA and how parents, this is why I wrote my book, The Shadow of the Two Good Mother Archetype, because the women that I worked with didn't feel good enough. and they felt like they were alone in that and women tended to turn inward on themselves in terms of what's wrong with me why can't i get this right everybody else gets it right and what i realized in my research is that we're carrying this dna of this old parenting pedagogy poisonous pedagogy as alice miller calls it because it really is poisonous to the human spirit they were parents were taught to break the spirit of the child before they're old enough to remember literally yes textbooks and so in the mid 20th century we started researching child development and I always say we're the only species that has to research itself to understand how to get along with each other and hopefully we're going to listen to the researchers now that are talking I'm not want to get political and into climate change but we are on the brink of the sixth extinction I was just hearing some biologists talk about this last week and it's really it's it's true in, in my perception but we have to broaden perception and help people understand that there's there's more than what these old school beliefs were telling us. And that's what we're talking about today when we talk about how to educate in a different way, how to create a new paradigm, how to do relationships different, mm-hmm. how to be curious with our children instead of putting them in the corner, you know, right. kindergarten for going forward in a picture book. That comes from the old poisonous pedagogy. So I don't think I really answered your question, but... You know, I feel like we really have to broaden our perceptions, hopefully, if we can, and look at what these familiar confabulations are that really aren't serving us as a species and how we can build more sustainable relationships and um, and more connection and um, compassion for one another. We're all bumbling along trying to figure this out. No, nobody has the answers, really. Um, but you know, when we come together in compassion and connection and curiosity and courage, um, you know, things open up in a different way. They become creative. And, you yeah. know, at any time you're facing diversity or adversity, you, you are you are facing uh, an opportunity to be creative. Mm-hmm. You know, and this whole terminology of think without the box. Why is the box there in the first place? You know, it's uh, the canvas could be as big as you want. Paint off canvas. Who cares? You know, the whole thing is if we don't push the creativity from a place of compassion, mm-hmm. collaboration, right, cohesiveness, uh, we're not going to get the full picture. Mm-hmm. You know, this is your picture, how you see it. That's how somebody else sees it. That's how somebody else sees it. When you step back and you look at the whole picture, you realize you're all looking at the same thing just from a different angle. You're all wanting the same thing. You all have the desire or the same fears, the same insecurities, the same abilities, but we just don't see it in each other because we've been conditioned to look for faults, flaws, inadequacies. And in the school system, I feel very much, you know, from my own kids being brought up, from myself being brought up, that it was always what you can't do instead of looking at what you can do because what you could do is different to the way they're teaching you. We've got to look at what, um, what they are doing and nurture that because as you said Elizabeth there are teachers Uh, Mm -hmm. and if we actually paid attention to the children and followed their lead we would know how to teach them better while they're teaching us. Elizabeth? Oh absolutely and I think kind of like what um, my mom Patty was saying um, 
about, you know, that I forget sometimes I just always assume, you know, that we're all in the same boat with assuming like we're not doing this perfect, but I forget sometimes and then we had, you know, again, we were all kind of hunkering down and through the spring and into the early summer and we had a, our first opportunity to get together as mothers with some of my neighborhood friends outside. Um, I want to say it was probably in like late June and we were just all sharing stories about our dark moments, you know, of home parenting and schooling and all of that. Um, and one of the mites was sharing this story about, you know, it's a dark, a very dark parenting moment for me. I was like, oh, I just really lost, lost my temper. And she was like, oh, I'm so glad you said that. And I was like, oh, well, I thought we were all struggling with this, right? Just because, you know, I work in schools and mm -hmm. I have a background in school-based mental health doesn't mean like I right. did it perfect. <laughs> I'm still a human being with, you know, uh, what we were just talking about, my monitor was talking the other day about that well of patience that it has a bottom. <laughs> it's yes, not bottomless. Yes, yes exactly. And I get there too, you know, and I think acknowledging that like that's okay to do because it's okay to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I think if we're okay with ourselves making mistakes, we'll be more okay with our children making mistakes because that's how we all learn. And I think those mistakes and those missteps are just important to sit with for a minute and like, and be okay with and not yeah. feel shame around. We talked a lot about, you know, shame and my mom's, uh, you know, work with that. And, but I think that's so true that at the embeddedness of, you know, the shame and making mistakes were, just letting go of that and knowing, no, like this, we are fumbling through. We are just making mistake after mistake. And each next minute is a new minute to try better and to try to learn from that past mistake and do it right. better this time. We don't need the shame and blame. That's right. Finger pointing, because don't forget this three fingers pointing back at us. You know, right. what we need to know is that, okay, what, what am I good at? How can I step up? This is my contribution. Right. And it's okay to get mad. I mean, as I said, I did a rant and rave show this last week, um, which I never do, you know, on my own, always do a show. It's always about perspective and looking at the positivity of it. And I had to get it off my chest. I just couldn't take <laughs> what I was seeing out there anymore <laughs> and, and hold it in anymore. It had to come out and that's okay. And I think that's important for kids to know that parents aren't a bottomless pit of positivity, right. right? They need to know that parents have a limit, that parents also can get frustrated and upset and cry and, and, you know, it's And okay. then we apologize and then we apologize for right. it and the importance of the apology, that sincere, you know, I'm really sorry, I made a mistake. I lost my temper. This is really hard for us. And I think when you model that and show yeah. that, that, that we're all kind of dealing with a tough time right now, we're all going to have our moments that are hard. And I think having grace with that and modeling that, you know, this is what it looks like when you make a mistake. It's not the end. It doesn't mean that, you know, we no longer care about each other. What it means is we forgive each other and we figure out how to do better the next time. Would you call it a mistake though? I would call it a reaction. Yeah. Well, I get, yeah. I, right. And again, I feel like, yeah, that's how it's just a moment. I would call it just a moment, like yes. a really hard moment where I was like, maybe I was having a moment. That's right. Because <laughs> even in that moment, if you really are at the bottom of that patient, yeah. well, you've got nothing left to give, right. you can't make a better choice. You're just, you're just where you are in that moment. And that's okay. Because you'll, you need to check in with yourself and know that, okay, what do I need right now? to be the caregiver that I want to be because you can't keep giving and giving and giving once that well is dry. But also kids are going to learn your indication mm -hmm. of push mom too far. Like when mom said something and you're not listening and mom suddenly goes quiet and she's still, uh oh, we've gone too far. Mom's really mad now. And it's for them to learn 
you know, they're going to push every button they can. And for them to learn the boundaries of those buttons, because that's what they're going to take in every other aspect of every other human they come with in life. And it's to learn when you've gone too far, to read the signs of the emotions and to take responsibility for that. So a parent saying, enough, it, uh, uh, no, no more, is letting them know the boundaries. And mm -hmm. if we don't show emotion, how are they going to know what, uh, you know, their emotions need to be or when to rein them in or when, you know, to, to take ownership of them? We, we are the example. And so I think that for them to see that we can also be upset and frustrated, you know, instead of hiding mm -hmm. it and the British stiff upper lip, you know, it's no, I'm just as frustrated as you are. We're in this together. Let's do this together. Mm -hmm. Patty. <laughs> I knew she was going to say that. It's my <laughs> well, what comes to mind when you're talking is Bruno Badelheim, who was a child psychiatrist, and he said that parents today have double duty because they're relearning some of these old. Um, they're 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 They have to recognize how these old parenting practices influenced their neurobiology at the same time they're helping their children regulate and he he talks about the word discipline which a lot of people think is a dirty word because they think of the old punitive punishment but the word discipline actually comes from the word disciple which means to teach or to train so what Betelheim says is where parents are really disciplining themselves and their kiddos at the same time and I think parents really have to realize that and I think that Elizabeth talks a lot about that in her own experience of realizing she's learning as she goes and and we're all learning as we go and we have to have i love that she uses the word grace you know what what does the word grace mean it's like sometimes it's bigger than we humans can even fathom and we have to kind of ride that the the wave of grace through it all and and forgiveness and repair you know and and being able to be real with our our children because a lot of times parents um, want to put on this uh, this facade. facade that they've got it all figured out and and kids want to see that they're real mm -hmm. um, it helps them when they're having a meltdown understand that mom can have a meltdown too mm -hmm. and then we can all repair it and we move on and that's you know that's how we humans do it here and when we try and cover it up I just watched um, Elizabeth the movie Bad Moms Christmas this weekend. I hadn't seen it before. <laughs> I had seen the movie Bad Moms and you know I took it with a grain of salt because you know they made some points about moms not feeling good enough and the way that talk about the shame and the judgment I, that's how my work evolved into just shame as a general concept because it's really mothers are the are they're brutal with one oh, another the yeah. amount of judgment oh, you know shame and blame point, yes pointing oh. the finger at other mothers like she did you see what she did and and you know but all of that is their own shame that's just a defense against their own not feeling good enough and i think you know when we realize that we're all figure, trying to figure this out and we can have a little bit of grace and lighten up a little bit on ourselves and, and realize that this is really an experiment we're all trying to figure it out and we definitely want to do different than you know these old pedagogies 
we just haven't really created a good framework for what that looks like yet. And it's really given ourselves permission to see that we're trying to do something that's never been done before and not to turn it inward on ourselves as I'm not doing a good enough job because that's what parents tend to do. And and really, it's never been written before. It's a new story that's never been written before. Which is wonderful. Which is wonderful. Yeah. Yes, that's the paradox. An opportunity to really express, you know. Uh, my mom said to me, you brought your kids up the way you would like to have been brought up. Very, very poignant statement for her and the fact that she even observed that because we were all sent to boarding school very early. And so I lived uh, an hour and a half away, but I didn't go home weekends like all the other kids. I was in boarding school, went home half term, end of term. That was it. And for me, send my kids away. You've got to be kidding. They may drive me crazy now and again, but I want to see their faces every morning and night. They're there no matter what. I went into motherhood knowing I was going to be in it full force. The beauty of where we are at right now, and because we're so uncertain of what is going to happen, we know that creativity, innovation comes from times of trouble. This is the time to get innovative, to get creative, but also to work with our kids. How do you want to be taught? What's the way that you learn best? And to adapt and adopt what they need instead of imposing upon them a structure that we know restricts their creativity, restricts their ability to feel confident about themselves, to speak out, to have a voice. And we, we know what the you know, results are of that. People who are just basically constantly living either under some form of control or fear. So to work with our kids right now and to acknowledge, you know, they learned a really good lesson in that play activity. They learned a really good lesson when I asked them what they thought about that situation or how did they hear the story. If we actually listen to our children and allow our children to guide us, we could create a curriculum that would benefit our children and our future society so much more. Am I daydreaming, Elizabeth? Is it possible? I know. I think so. And I think that, you know, I actually had a, you know, a friend and neighbor whose son was in my daughter's class last year. And, you know, when we went online, our district did provide computers to every student, which was really great. So they did have access to that. And the they tried to continue it, you know, as best they could in an emergency. But what she decided is that, you know, the, the computer screen was not a good fit for her son. Mm-hmm. And it was too overstimulating for him. She just couldn't do it again and commit to that for the start of this year. So she decided just to buckle down and homeschool 100%. And, you know, again, I think it just each family needs to really choose what makes the most sense for them and their kid, what's feasible with them with their, you know, keeping their jobs, we all, you know, want to keep that job security in these uncertain times. So we want to make sure we're able to provide for our families, you know, that basic hierarchy of needs, right? Like we mm-hmm. need our house, we need yes. like, so making sure those house, needs are met. Food. Yeah, yep. exactly. <laughs> you know, rest. those basic needs can be met. And then we go to that next level of like, okay, well, now what can we do to make sure like we're getting what we need emotionally and what we need, you know, to make this learning happen in a way that is healthy for our family. And I think because I work in schools, I feel like I tend to maybe like I try to remind people that it's not that serious, right? If your child misses a thing or just think it's not the end of the world because there'll be time to get caught up. You know, this isn't the end all. It's not, I think we were, when we grew up, I know like myself and my, it was very grades focused, right? Like you have to get yes. these right grades and you, the grades and the outcome were very big 
as far as like, that's how you measured success. And were you going to get promoted to the next grade? And it really depended on your outcome and your performance. Well, now I feel like schools, they are starting to get a little more innovative and think more about process, right? Okay, what's the process? Where are we developing with this? And I think as schools have moved that way, parents have had a hard time understanding that. But I think for parents to really get that this is really about the process, you know, read with your child. If you can't out, get log on every day, you can't log on every day. Like one day this will be done and there might be some remediation that needs to happen. But in the meantime, just keep doing the best you can and doing as much as you can, but not in a way that overtaxes or overstresses your family and your children. There's just no reason to put more stress on your family for the sake of meeting some benchmark on some online assignment. It's just, you know, keep the focus, I think, on the big picture of the overall health and wellness of your family. I think that's the most important thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with teenagers, you can be a bit more structured. Otherwise, they're going to use anything as a way to slack <laughs> off, right? Sure. And, of course, what I think is the biggest effect for teenagers is um, obviously kind of the tutorial with the heavy-duty uh, classwork they have, but the interaction with people. Mm-hmm. So they could be 24-7 online chatting with their friends, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think with teenagers, there has to be a certain amount of structure, this amount with friends, this amount with work, mm-hmm. and then this amount off it all together doing something else. Um, and, I've, you know, I think teenagers would probably be more of a challenge right now mm-hmm. than the young ones. The young ones will always find something to do something to play with um but the older ones you know it's like the world is out to get them because that's what it is as being a teenager right the world is out to get them and everything that happens to them is because the world is personally out to get them um i would never want to be that age group again ever mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so i think they kind of do need more of the structure but in order right. to fulfill the assignments but the younger ones the play is so important i have a, a, a wonderful I guess that was repeated on here a lot, Duwati Bastadi, and she teaches yoga to to the youth, anything from nine, ten up, um, and but she teaches meditation, and she's got a whole meditation platform there. I don't think any child is too young to learn the art of being still, the the art of going in, um, the the awareness of what's around them, and I think you know it's yoga time or it's meditation time, even doing it as a family or finding ways. Maybe it's nature that becomes the the meditation but find ways that your child connects and use that as a meditative type connection because it calms them down, opens up the creativity and takes away any of that frustration that, they, that they're building up. So there's so many ways that we can dabble into now and explore to apply to our children and, and just to see what works. And then what works for you might work for another family, so share it. Don't just keep it to yourself, share it. And somebody else will go, I'm going to try that. And the next thing you know, you've got something that really works for the majority of people. And this is now something that could be integrated into the new school system. Absolutely. And again, I think that we, we focus too much on finding this like perfectly packaged program, right? We want the thing mm. with the bullet points. But again, I think part of this is- The one size fits all, as you exactly, said Exactly. It's a yeah. dial back a little bit, right? Yeah. And remember that what that could look like is going on a walk right? Setting the screens down for an hour and going for a walk around your neighborhood or, you know, pushing them on a swing if you're lucky enough to have one in your backyard. Just doing those quiet, because I remember the first, when my husband and I first moved to our neighborhood was, you know, when we had just had our baby 
And um, I, you know, so I didn't have school age or older kids and I saw kids riding bikes and around the neighborhood with their cell phones in their hand. And it was so striking to me because I said, is this what kids do now? I had no idea. And I realized that it's like, kids don't know how to sit and be present, even on a bicycle around their neighborhood because they're so used to being connected to screens all the time. So again, I think as parents, again, setting that structure and those boundaries, like you were talking about in place for screens, like if we're going to be doing virtual school, then that's, we got, that counts as screen time. You know, that's part of our screen time overall. That affects our brain, that affects our brain chemistry. So we need to remember that and we need to put some limits on that and really make sure we're creating space for whether it's a, you know, really structured meditation or whether it's just quiet, mm-hmm. mindful, meditative movement that we do, you know, to really help us kind of, again, check in with our bodies and our minds so we can have that calm, calm time. It's just the, the power of that. Right. Of intentionally building that into your day is so huge. You know, the other thing is with the cell phone, when you're out in a walk, take pictures of flowers, take pictures of trees, take pictures of things, mm-hmm. and then come back and look up to what they are. Oh, this is an elm tree. This is a willow tree. This is this flower. What is it? Is it, uh, does it have any benefits? Oh, yes, look, it's healing this and it's doing that. All of a sudden it's become an education and they don't even know it. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that happens all the time, right? Kids are just naturally curious. I think, again, going on walks around our neighborhood, I feel like is one, or even bike rides, like has been one of the like best things we come up with questions. We come, oh, I wonder about that and that waterway and what's, that kind of tree and oh what I, we saw this bird that was this color I wonder what that is and so then you have things to kind of look up and explore when you yes. get home yeah yeah there's so many things we can do um you know it, as Patty said she, she's glad she doesn't have kids in school right now but you know whether it's the school system or whether it's society in general we are in you know as my phrase that constantly being given is that the universe is here to shake us up to wake us up for us to step up and change it up and as you were saying patty we we've got to do something fast because unless we change the mother earth is will press delete next time not just a pandemic a delete button um we have raped the resources from this planet and we've become so entitled and so opulent and so inconsiderate and selfish. And really, those are the things that we really need to, to address as a society. Because when, when things happen, people come together. And, you know, as you said, the paradox is we're saying to people, well, you can't come together right now. Find a different way. Find a different way to come together to collectively look for the solutions. This is the time for us to step up, isn't it? It's not the time, well, I'm going to wait and see what everybody else does. Be a part of the equation. Step up because we are part of the solution. I want to ask Elizabeth if she, ha- I'm going to put you on the spot here. Because <laughs> um, I As saw. mothers her, do. <laughs> I, I think her is my, my contemporary expert. So a friend of mine posted on Facebook this morning that her, I think, eight-year-old um, there were some sexual predators on it. it was a, and it was a site for kids, mm. you know, so how can yeah. parents screen? Cause when our kids are doing homeschool and we're yeah. working in the other room and they're on their computer, I know there's, um, you know, different ways we can put, uh, what is it? Limitations on mm-hmm. screen yes, time, parent but, control. Yeah. yeah. Parent control. But, but this website was designed for kids and they found that there were some sexual predators on mm-hmm. there 
saying inappropriate things to kids. Are there resources for parents, Elizabeth? Yeah, so there's a few. I don't, off the top of my head, I'm not sure what they're called, but there's definitely like different programs you can install. And so I would say, again, like I know for us, like we have a very young, you know, my daughter's only seven. And so we're obviously very vigilant. But again, I feel like parents as kids get older tend to kind of relax the vigilance about the technology a little bit. And I've had to have really tough conversations with parents over the years of students I've worked with who have been on some very inappropriate sites and apps on their devices that parents thought were just for playing games and videos and, you know, silly stuff. But there's some really serious adult stuff going on. And and parents, if you don't know what an app is, you wouldn't know. It right. looks like it's meant for children. And then some are meant for children and people infiltrate it anyway. And so I think really making sure if your child has a some kind of laptop computer device that they're using for school, that they're using the school platform to enter it. They're not just going straight from the search engine. They're going actually through the platform the school provides. So gen- most of the time there's some type of thing and they, there's tons of different programs kids in schools use. And because that puts the firewalls up, because the thing is you're at your home Wi-Fi. And your home Wi-Fi is open to anything. When you're in school, there's so many firewalls. In a school building, that Wi-Fi is like really meant, it it still doesn't keep out everything, but it's a lot more secure than us at home where it's just like anything you want. So I think we really need to be looking over their shoulder, seeing what programs we're using, making sure they're the ones that the teachers are telling them to be on and making sure they're not different because there's lots of gaming sites like roblox is a really popular one um that was it or, yeah roblox i i'm not a fan of i'm i mean i don't i don't i don't know that much about that business but i personally as a parent i'm not a fan of roblox i won't let my child use it because it allows you to interact with anybody on the internet at any time and they they can talk to you and message you and chat you on there and if you're not supervising you don't know what they're saying to your child. They could be saying all kinds of things and telling them, asking them personal questions. And yeah. that's to me is scary as a parent. And yeah. again, it's, it is meant for kids, but there's no nothing to restrict you as an adult to get on there. So I think vigilance watching, if you have a child with a cell phone, everything that's on that cell phone, you should be able to see either on your own phone, whether it's mirrored or, you know, you should, I, I mean, I, I feel like if you're paying for that device, you should be able to check it every day. There's no excuse or reason for you. Again, we want to give them privacy as they grow up, but I feel like certain types of technology is not the place for that because right. there's just way too many um, opportunities. And so just scariest about there. I think Bark, I feel like I've heard that's a company, I think, that provides some types of you know, protections, whereas if parents want to monitor their children's social media platforms, that's one I've heard of. Um, there's a lot of different things, but I would definitely be in contact with the school and what the school's using and not go outside of that. I would stay within what the school's recommended for instructional games and activities. Um, and then if your kid is on something that's an open-ended platform like that, I would just be really, I would only let them play with it while you're supervising. I think the other thing is educating your kids. My kids from the age of three did the sex education of this is my body. Nobody's allowed to touch it. If you don't want it and you go and tell mommy or daddy or somebody you trust. Um, and my kids, right, you know, when they did that, I'm bathing myself now, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. uh, and I think, you know, warning signs, it's sad that we have to do it. But I think it's like, if somebody starts asking you these questions, you don't answer them, you come and tell me. Um, but this is the things that we don't say online. 
Mm -hmm. right you know what's your address what's your full name what's your this and that we don't give that online and if they know they're go okay you know they're not mm -hmm. uh, too worried about it like we are um, right. but it, at the same time mommy somebody is asking my name all right and immediately you can jump on mm -hmm. and and address it so I think it's okay to have that conversation with our children mm -hmm. and you know we're always like oh but I'm taking their innocence away no you're protecting oh, that innocence. yeah I agree hundred percent. There's just, especially again, when we're talking right now in this current situation, yes. where there's so much technology that's required of them. It's not an option anymore. They no. have to access technology to access school right now. And so I think that type of like hands-on approach is really important. And again, if you can't be hands-on, then you need to, I would shut it all down and only have the platforms through the school site. Right. Mm -hmm. But going back to that other question, Patty, about this whole change that we're going through right now and navigating, we know there are some people clinging on to the past like crazy. I want things to go back to normal. We know nothing is ever going to go back to that normal. The whole reason for this whole crisis is that normal as we knew it has to change. Um, through what you're seeing right now, you know, we're really seeing division, especially in, in the States of, you know, holding on to the old and people embracing the new. And there's so much emotion really bubbling up right now. You know, what can we do in order to embrace this change where we feel that we're empowered to do? Well, I think it goes back to what you said earlier, you know, one day at a time and the serenity prayer, I always refer to that. You know, God, give me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that's the, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous prayer, but it really speaks to the time we're living in. There's some things we can change and some things we can't. And, you know, how do we know the difference? And, you know, again, I think if we go back to that curiosity, compassion, connection, um, courage, and really allow ourselves to to broaden our perceptions a little bit and and learn more about human relationships and what children need um then we're doing the best we can what and we need i think i think mean, you know i think before before we can be something for our children we need to know what we need you know mm -hmm. to find that equilibrium to find any form of sense within ourselves because whatever is going on inside of us is going to reflect back on our children so you know we really do need to take the time to kind of navigate our own feelings our own thoughts or our own selves and place that importance upon our own selves as well because the more calm and ease and and uh, positive you are about what is to come more your children will be at ease so we really do need to work on ourselves first don't we Absolutely. Self-care is really important. Elizabeth and I have a course that we put together called Moms in Real Life. That's a, um, it's an online course you can do at your own pace. And we talk a lot about self-care and ways to find those moments because they're just going to be little moments in between the chaos. <laughs> the chaos of trying to do it all at home right now and juggle everything. And yeah, we have to, like Elizabeth said, you know, we have to know when our well of patience runs dry. Mm -hmm and and you know take some deep breaths ourselves and yeah and this other word called delegate yeah, yeah. <laughs> right maybe there's some aunts and uncles out there that can take a class <laughs> do a class not just all on mums or all on dads you know yeah. it's you've got other family grandmas grandpas yeah. you know do a lesson online with the kids you know this is if you can't do it physically step up don't just have all the burden of everything you know either mm -hmm. jenny on the mum's shoulder um, share, delegate, 
Let other people, you're, you're at home. You can't go anywhere right now. You're teaching history, pups. You know? Well, and how much learning happens when children do chores? I mean, that's yes, the, yes. The, the, the dirty word is getting your kids to help around the house. Oh, no, you know, they don't want to yeah. do that. But I remember when I was, as a single mom, after I got divorced, I decided one morning, I, I said, these kids can do their own laundry. Yeah. Yeah. And how much older are you than Brian, Elizabeth? You're about seven, a seven and a half year difference. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you were about 14 probably when I made that declaration that everybody's doing that. Oh, no, 14, no. <laughs> I was like, that's not fair. She's just doing that. You're to get like, me. Yeah. I know. But it was such a relief. And then we had to figure out how to negotiate who was going to use the washing machine when because they all wouldn't do it at the same time. But we would have family meetings every week and, and discuss chores. Yeah. And yeah. I think how much learning happens in – you know, what we need to do around the house and even baking and cooking we're learning. So there's so much to do just in the household um, where learning happens. And I, I think it, it helps kids, you know, be responsible to help out around the house. I have four, I'll just say it, four beautiful children who are very responsible right now. They're all in their thirties and their employers all love them, you know, <laughs> and maybe it's because they did chores around the house. I don't know. <laughs> You know, no, I, I agree with you. I did the, yeah. the chore thing as well. The other thing is we always had a round table. End uh, uh, of school, I never knew who was going to come home with the kids. And there was always grub there and conversations and then who's staying for dinner. And it, and it was, you know, talk about the day. You know, mom, what's a homosexual? Okay, now we've got this question. And always tell them the truth. Mm -hmm. But the truth is obviously going to modify it as to what age they are. Mm -hmm. And we never lied or held anything back. We just might, you know, modify it accordingly and let the children be inquisitive. Never shut them down. Mm -hmm. And never because I say so, mm -hmm. right? Because that is totally taking away any rights from them. You mm -hmm. know, it, it can be, look, this is the way it is here, right? For, until further notice, it's the way it is. And the kids have to at some point stop saying, Why? why <laughs> that favorite word and just accept it is but we've got to be open to listening to them and we've got to be open to to playing with them on their playground not insisting they play on our playground and learn from my kids and they will learn from the chores they will learn what is COVID? how does it affect what about other pandemics if they're at that age not to put the fear in them but to to understand that there has been pandemics through the history of time, they do end. And this is what we can do to protect ourselves. In the past, they couldn't. Aren't we lucky that we can now? You know, and there's so many things that we can do, but I think kind of playing the hide and seek with the kids in the sense of not telling them the truth of what's going on and them being anxious ourselves is worse. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think it's part of that. Than we give them credit for. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, part of it, again, it's that, you know, approach that's respectful, right? I think that's always the approach that's the most successful is when we treat them the way that we would want someone to treat us. Right. And so again, we can't expect them to just, you know, engage in this open-ended self-directed play if we didn't first create the container. So they need to know that things are safe and there's predictable boundaries, right? So again, it's almost like, so it's that give and take of, yeah, you want it open-ended and creative, but you also want to know that there's limits and there's boundaries yes. and we can't just jump off the front. You know, there are certain things that are clear, that are made clear and there aren't question marks about them and things like, you know, we talk about self-care. I think a huge component, I know for me with self-care 
is a regular bedtime for my kids mm -hmm. because I know I need them to go to bed on time every night because I need time. Yes. Right. And so I think, you know, when I hear about parents who are like, Oh, I don't want to battle about bedtime. I just let them go. I just, that stresses me out. But again, if that works for you, that works for you. But for me, I need to know by eight o'clock, I am not parenting anymore for the right. rest of the day. Right. It is my parenting card is done. I, you know, it's, you've, you've clocked yeah, out. Exactly. I've clocked <laughs> out. It is not parent time. That is just grown up time. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, part of that is sometimes, you know, that's a tough thing to establish if you haven't, you know, been doing that. But I think as we get into this virtual school and needing a schedule and needing some predictability within, and then the open-ended creative time within that, you know, you might need to work on, you know, how do I establish, you know, a consistent schedule that helps me refill myself. So I don't feel like I'm empty every day when I wake up and have to parent all over right, again. Right. And you know, you know, it can be, you go to bed. Okay. I don't want to go to sleep, but then read. Exactly. Right. No, no devices, but read. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, let that, that take you off to dreamland. Mm -hmm. You know, there's things that they can do in their room, but they're quiet time, you know, mm -hmm. and as don't they, require parenting. Right. right. Yeah. Don't require parenting. Don't require a device. Um, you know, that can just take them off into some other imagination. Mm -hmm. You know, there are, there, there's a lot of throwback. I mean, we grew up, I don't know about you, Patty, but I didn't have TV. Um, I remember we had a black and white TV when I was young. There's only two or three programs a day. When I went to live in South Africa, I never had a TV there. When it finally came, it was one day English, one day Afrikaans, and the Afrikaners had got all the good programs, the English ones, and converted it. Um, so I just didn't ever bother. So there was things that I would do. And I think that uh, growing up, you know, the TV was in the living room, you were in the bedroom, you, you read or you looked at pictures, or I used to have wonderful conversations with all my teddies. And we would go off on adventures together in my imagination. And I think the more we can spark the imagination of children into that wonderment and going off into their other worlds, the better that they're going to be creatively mm -hmm. for the future. Well, and kids are so bombarded today when we talk about the new paradigm and a story that's never been written before. They're exposed to so much reality TV, which isn't gotcha. real, and how much of the depression and anxiety and suicidality is going on because kids can't live up to what they're seeing on the screens. Right. Their lives don't look like that. Mm -hmm. um, and back to the paradigm shift, you know, I, I earlier wanted to mention um, T. Barry Brazelton, who is a really well-known pediatrician, who talked about when we're trying to change from that old, rigid, authoritarian belief system, parents tended to swing over to the permissive mm -hmm. because we're just repeating the same thing because we have this unconscious repetition. So it's really important to pay attention to, back to what I said earlier, we're writing a story that's never been written before. And I think what Elizabeth was saying about bedtime at 8, doesn't mean I'm over in the authoritarian parenting thing, but I'm also not in the permissive where I can't deal with my kids because they don't want to go to bed. You know, and I think that's the harder part for parents right now is I call it heart-centered discipline. I I used to teach classes for a parent um, for a pediatric group in Virginia, and I've got you know some information online around heart-centered discipline, which is which kind of is an overview of this story that's never been written before. Mm. And I think that helps parents to realize because we tend to keep repeating. It's an unconscious repetition. So we don't want to do that, but then we do this, but we're still, then the parents are in, I mean, the kids are controlling the parents. So yes. really it's about and They control. can do that so well. <laughs> so it's really about, in, it's instilling self discipline, which is what Betelheim says, as opposed to imposing discipline 
we, we want to instill self-discipline in our children. And again, that's a story that's never been written before. Yeah. So that's why Elizabeth and I do what we do, part of the reason. Right. Yeah. Well, I used to call it boundaries with my kids. If you want to push the boundaries, know that you will always pay a price. You know, and uh, might be sent to your room or this or that with me. But if you're going to push your boundaries out there, I'm going to go. My son um, went on this swinging rope with a big hook. And he got onto the rope and felt, oh, no, this doesn't feel good. And he was trying to get off. And somebody said, well, my girlfriend can do it. Are you a sissy? He's 13, right? He gets onto the hook, falls down this uh, 25, 30-foot embankment, wakes up in a lake with his leg snapped in half behind him. Oh. Now, his instincts told him not to, but his ego was challenged. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the boundaries that he pushed. He recognized, I pushed my own boundary. My instincts told me not to, and I should have listened. And instead, I ended up with a snapped um, thema. And that's something I've always said to them, know your limits, know your limits. No, like, no, it doesn't feel right. I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And they need to learn how to gauge those limits, right. because they're going to be, need to have that throughout their entire lives. And mm -hmm. if we're making those decisions from them all the time, nope, nope, nope. You know, then it's like, well, how do they know what their limits are? How will they know how to recognize them? Is well, we call that natural and logical consequences. Mm -hmm. So natural consequences, you put your hand on the stove, you're going to get burnt. And so yeah. we're not going to touch the stove anymore. So when we think about what's a logical consequence for a particular behavior, you know, and teaching kids to understand that when we do these sorts of things, this is what could happen. So to make it congruent. Yeah. is really important. How can it be more congruent? Mm. Yeah. So I think when we communicate it in a respectful way, and yeah. I think that's what we forget. We think, oh, they're going to push the limits. Oh, they're going to do it. But I think if you just say, I feel like, again, I maybe, again, I don't want to say that I I'm, feel like I'm really lucky with kids who are good sleepers, maybe. But I also feel like we've always been super consistent with bedtime. Like, mm. it's not an argument. I mean, you can argue and not like it. I yeah. hear you. That's a bummer. Too bad. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry you're unhappy with that, but that's what happens at you know depending on at their age 738 you go to bed it like so my three-year-old it's 730 it's bedtime and again no he doesn't always like it but we say yep yeah, i know you're sad about that it's you know it's bedtime we've had a really fun day together we'll have some fun tomorrow we get to pick out one book and then it's over so it's just you know you guys i think just that consistent limit it's always the same it never changes and i think it gets to a point where they know like and i feel like and then they that feels good that feels secure like i know what to expect i know where that yeah. limit is and I think if you're constantly, and then respectful about it, explaining why, because it's time for rest, right? It's just one of those things that makes it, I just feel like it makes it easier and that we don't get into the arguments. Well, especially with so much being in flux right now, having certain things that they know in their life is structured. That's mm -hmm. it. Those are the building blocks. Um, it allows them to kind of swing in the uncertainty mm -hmm. more because they know that there's certain things in their lives and daily lives that is certain mm -hmm. so it uh, i think gives them that freedom in you know to explore more exactly will you please tell us about this program that you have for mums do you want to elizabeth you go oh what the, about the course uh, the moms are, our, mom, our work is moms in real oh, life yeah yeah we've been working on this for a couple of years now we started live in virginia beach but go ahead mm -hmm. tell because I think you did such great work for younger mom, not younger moms, but moms with younger children and young. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's just a platform that we created. So it's something that we're kind of working on um, and building. And I think 
with um, the pandemic and everyone sort of, again, with the emergency shutdown and everyone being kind of forced inward and in home, um, uh, mom created her course and then she created, you know, one to spin off the moms in real life and really create something that mothers could use in particular. So she created one just about going in and not out during the pandemic and really checking in with yourself and managing. And then we talked about well, what a mother's need, because this is really hard for all of us. We're all trying to parent in a way that we've never had to before. And especially, again, like you were saying, most people are a dual income household now. Mm -hmm. So most of us are working parents. And so we've never had to parent, or our kids have been at school, even if we were stay-at-home moms, you know, the kids are in preschool or school. And so we haven't had to parent this much, this hands-on, while we're all really stressed out about what's happening. And so we um, put together a course and um, aligned with some of the work my mom had done previously with her book and, you know, some just some updated things. And, you know, going forward, I think just sharing some more of those ideas. Um, you know, I have a parent coaching uh, support that um, I have been working on for moms, especially moms, again, of really young children, because I feel like that's when you know, you tend to feel really overwhelmed is when your children are really little toddlers and preschoolers and the behaviors are so challenging and you're constantly second guessing yourself about how you're responding. Um, and then moms in real life in general is just more broad. Um, so again, hopefully once it's safe to have in-person events, we'll be able to do that again, that's the plan. Um, and in the meantime, continuing to work on some of these uh, virtual um, opportunities. Is there a chance of you putting this online? It is online. We have the course Moms in Real Life that's on both of our websites, a link mm -hmm. to that. And it has PowerPoints and videos. We did a lot of video conversations and we have worksheets, we have meditations. Um, we did some Facebook Live um, on Friday, every Friday at 11. I do a Facebook Live on my Dr. Patty Ashley page. Um, might bring Elizabeth back in in the next few months too. I'm doing some different interviews over the next few months around my shame book. but. Yeah, the Moms in Real Life course is on my website and Elizabeth's website. Mm -hmm. And those websites are? Mine is pattyashley.com, and that's Patty with an I, P-A-T-T-I-A-S-H-L-E-Y. And Elizabeth's is? ElizabethAshleyHerman.com. So. so we're adding a Herman to it. <laughs> <laughs> we are really... Um, influx right now no you know everybody's kind of got their foot out there like where do i put it down you know is there going to be some ground there when i do and it's don't be so overwhelmed by it all it really step into wonderment you know mm -hmm. be explorers you know uh, we are wherever we are in the world because of explorers before us mm -hmm. that came and discovered and created space for us to come and this is just a new space that we're recreating here. And don't worry about if you're doing it wrong, because if it's wrong, it won't take. You know, when it's right, that's when you can gather the momentum for it. It's don't beat yourself up if you're not coping. Um, look to and listen to, you know, your courses, but also listen to all these podcasts that are out there. And please go back and listen to Patty's as well. We talk about her books and, um, and a whole lot more. We're there for you. You're not alone out there. There are plenty of resources out there. So it's go online, look to see what is there. Um, as both of you as psychologists, you, you, you know what you're talking about and you know what to address. So if somebody's really feeling stuck, they need to reach out because again, no shame, no blame. Mm -hmm. We're all in this. We're all navigating. We're going to trip up a fall flat on our faces. It's how do you pick yourself up? 
and you learn from other people's experiences of what works for them. So inquire what works for them. And every Friday at what time did you say, Patty? 11 a.m. Mountain Time. Right. So you're covering a whole lot of what needs to be heard. And, you know, there might be just one thing. One thing. Oh, oh, you've just hit a light bulb there. You know, that one thing I needed to know. And it's a shift into a more positive direction. But to know you're not alone and to know that there are people like Elizabeth and Patty out there to help you on your way. Uh, and that don't be so scared. There is no going back to normal. We will not go back to normal. We are looking at this upheaval for at least another year. Um, winter is going to be tough because we're not going to know. Is it COVID? Is it a cold? Is it flu? And it's going to throw panic out there. You're sick. You stay home. That's it. You don't go out anywhere in public. You most likely won't get a cold because you're not out in public as well. So that's the benefit mm -hmm. there. Things are online now. Things are at the other end of a phone. Things are with your neighbors and supporting each other, having that bubble of friends. Look to what you can do and stop worrying about what you can't do anymore. And just be creative with it. So thank you both for sharing here today. Mm -hmm. So it's elizabethashleyherman.com. That's correct. And Patty ashley.com uh, please come back and listen to patty's previous show um, as i said there's so much information in there for you to to um listen to also all of her wonderful books which are living in the shadow of the too good mother archetype and then letters of freedom and then shame informed therapy and plus a whole load of other stuff she's got courses on the authentic archetype um think Dot com, which is dot think, please go to her page, just put in her name on selfdiscoverymedia.com and both shows will come up. And this is the time to be creative and, and just take the worry off, take the worry off your shoulders. You know, everybody's in this. There is no perfect way right now. There is no, um, you've got to do this. It, it's just navigate each and every day, but listen and learn from other people that are doing things so that it might help you apply to what you're doing. And um, our children are going to navigate us through this right now. Listen to them. Please listen to them. They are wise beyond years. They have an intuitive understanding of life that is so beautifully innocent that the past school system has taken away from them. It was all about control and conform. And we don't want to control or conform our children. We want to set them free. We want to learn from them. They're our future leaders. Let's give them all the empowerment that they can have. And that means as a parent, not only loosening up, but, you know, just give yourself some credit as well. You know, it's just because their grades may be not up to standard to what has been, the grade system is going to be totally differently marked in the future. So one day at a time, right? Any parting words, folks? Patty? Well, exhale. I just feel like we all need to exhale. And I think, you know, yeah, lighten up and know you're enough. And thank you so much for having us, Sarah. Appreciate oh your work and, and what you do. And Ditto, right back at you. <laughs> and uh, the Forgotten Children series is one that it really is uh, big for me because there are so many forgotten children out there and uh, they are our future and we have let them down so much in the past mm -hmm. and we worry about this dysfunctional society uh, where did that dysfunction come from it stemmed right from them as children where we let them down so let's make sure we look after our children mm -hmm. today and then they will have more opportunity for us tomorrow elizabeth 
Thank you, Sarah. It was so lovely to meet you and thank you for having this conversation. My pleasure, my pleasure. And wonderful to have a, a Mara and daughter team on. It's great. So <laughs> wonderful. Please, folks, don't forget to share this show. You know, this is share it out with someone. And if you can't get together over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, you can always do a Zoom wine talk and talk about what you've heard here today and share each other's tidbits of what you're doing. Just because one thing works for one child doesn't mean it's going to work in another family. But if you share what you're doing and what works for you, people will go, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that. And it just might be the answer that they want. But remember, it is about community and us coming together because we are the solution that we're seeking. So until next time, folks, bye for now. We hope you enjoyed the show. We look forward to bringing you more shows. Please go to selfdiscoverymedia.com slash shows and you will see the incredible lineup of genres and shows that we have for you. We are here to make a difference in your life. Thank you for listening.